Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and I'm joined today via Skype with Heather. Hi, everybody. So today we are doing a classic animated film called The Secret of Nim, and it premiered on the 16th of July, 1982, and it was directed by Don Bluth. This was Don Bluth's first movie away from Disney. Like, he had been with Disney since Sleeping Beauty in 1959. He did Sword in the Stone, like he was just an animator. Uh, Sword in the Stone, Robin Hood, The Rescuers, Pete's Dragon, The Fox and the Hound. So he'd been around a while. And he and a bunch of other animators had gotten together and decided that Disney had sort of moved away from the classic animation that had made it so popular. Which, I mean, we've done two of their their Disney dark period movies. Yeah, they, they wandered. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking about doing Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is Dark Fantasy by Ray Bradbury. So yeah, they wandered. Yeah, The Sword in the Stone and Robin Hood are two of my all-time favorites. I think I tried The Sword in the Stone once, and I didn't get very far into it. And Robin Hood, no, not my thing. But, uh, you know, since doing this, you know, the Don Bluth Company did An American Tale, The Land Before Time, and, of course, the Dragonslayer game, and Dragonslayer 2 and Space Ace, which are all the same. It was written by, well, it's based on, the the movie is based on a book by Robert C. O'Brien called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. So they changed it to Brisbee in the, in the movie. Uh, it was also written by Don Bluth, John Pomeroy, Gary Goldman, Will Finn, and an uncredited Ken Anderson, which we've learned usually means script doctor. Your golden rule aside, I, I think this came out okay. Yeah, it's, it's the exception that, that proves, proves the rule, right. I guess. Yeah. Well, also Dungeon Keeper, because that was such a magnificently written film. I think you, you'll have to. Oh, admit. yeah, no, we'll yeah. have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's no. So it stars Derek Jacobi as Nicodemus, Elizabeth Harmon as Mrs. Brisby, Dom DeLuise as Jeremy the Crow, Shannon Doherty as Teresa, Will Wheaton as Martin. What? No. Yeah. Seriously, you didn't know that? I didn't. I didn't. Well, I didn't know any of those. Shannon Doherty from 90210. She played Teresa, the older daughter, and Will Wheaton played Martin, the kid, the uh, the pain in the ass. And Peter Strauss, who was like a big babe in the 70s and 80s, he played Justin, the captain of the guard. Nice. It was rated G, surprise, surprise. And this is actually kind of surprising. It was made yeah. on a budget of $7 million, and it only made 14.6. Oh. Which you'd figure in the middle of summer of 82, you'd figure it would have done better, but... I guess Weird. not. The soundtrack, though, was a smash hit. I couldn't find numbers, but apparently it was really popular. Hmm. Um, I think mostly because of the song from the film. I think that's what sort of sold the soundtrack. Yeah, the soundtrack was done by, what was it, Jerry Goldsmith. Of course, you know him from the, the Star Trek, the motion picture theme, which became the Star Trek <laughs> Next Generation theme. And he's uh, Jerry Goldsmith, he's done one or two things. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, he's one of the big guys. Well, uh, James Horner, who did Glory, which we're going to do with Raimi at some point. Uh, of course, he did Star Trek's two and three, and he did Kroll, which you know was just stolen from Star Trek's two and three. And well, I and, did like the music in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good film. Okay, it wasn't a good film. It was good music though. Yeah. So yeah, you said you saw this film today. Have you, had you seen it as a kid? <laughs> sort of. I remember <laughs> seeing it as a kid, not like in the theater or anything, but just it was on TV or something. Yeah. Okay. Or a rental. I was um, I was not quite eight when it came out, not quite nine when it came out. I was really young. Yeah. But I don't remember the end. I th- I remember up to Nicodemus dying, and I okay. think I left. 
I think I think I left I think I left the room when Nicodemus died as a kid. Really? Wow. Yeah, because I don't know that I've ever seen the ending until wow. today. <laughs> That's kind of neat. Well, was it a pleasing ending at least? Was yeah. You know, it, it's funny that you say that. In 1989, George Romero remade his own movie, Night of the Living Dead. I'd never seen a zombie film in my life other than like The Return of the Living Dead, which are comedies. And the first time I saw it, now 1989, I was in junior high. I was in, this was the summer of 1989. So it was between grade eight and nine that I saw this film. And it scared me so much I couldn't finish it. Wow. And, and I tried a couple times and it scared the hell out of me. And eventually I forced myself to watch it. And that's how I got over the fear because the end of the movie, of course, is Barbara realizing these things are so slow and clumsy. You can just walk right past them. Yeah. And then I did, then I wasn't afraid anymore. That's Whew. what it took to get over that was wow. to actually force myself to finish the film. But for months I couldn't, I could, it was on super channel and I would have to turn it off every time. So yeah. this isn't quite that intense. There's no flesh well, eating. L- uh, little, little kid me didn't make it through. Peter Pan either, so. Wow, really? Yeah. Huh, okay, well, we all have our uh, soft spots and our uh, our pressure points. Okay. I got um, a lot harder as a grown-up. Yeah, I would think. Because if this movie still upsets you so much that you didn't finish it, we have to pause this recording and have a conversation <laughs> about <laughs> about you entering counseling. I'm, I'm solid now. Oh, okay, we're good. So, yeah, I I didn't I don't think I saw this in in the theaters. I don't, I don't think so. But I've seen it many times. I'm sure I saw it on Super Channel. I'm I'm sure we rented it. But this is one of those films that as a kid, I saw a lot. And I do own the DVD. I bought it when it came out. You know, when DVDs first came out, they just started pumping stuff out. They had no extras. So it was a really bad copy. It was kind of dark. But I don't think I'd actually seen this. Like when I pulled out the old DVD, I don't think I'd seen this in a while. I watched this just when we started the podcast, because when I was doing solo episodes, I thought I might do this one as well. And I realized, nah, this is not something I can just talk about on my own as a cinematic experience. This has to be a conversation. So it's been like three years, but I saw this film a lot as a kid, but admittedly, it didn't scare me. I didn't, I didn't understand it either. Like, really? I had no oh. idea what was going on. The one guy I knew was a good guy died. And I'm like, oh, I'm out. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I was talking with my mother about this because, of course, there is a sequel to the book, which is all about Timmy dealing with the rats of Nim with you know, the idea that they followed, they followed the rats out to wherever they were going. And Timmy goes to school with them and he gets in an adventure. And I know they made a second film called secret of Nim to Timmy to the rescue, which apparently was just a disaster. It was a direct to DVD disaster and it was just garbage. But one thing I was talking about you know, when I, with my mother is that the reason the second one apparently was so bad is that they got rid of all the dark elements, all the scary stuff. Mm. Cause this movie is very scary. Um, it's very it's dark. Fun. It's dark. It's violent. It's visibly dark too. Like it's, it's not a cheery, most of it's not very cheery. Jenner, who is the antagonist, he's a genuinely bad guy. Oh yeah. He's bad, bad. You know, I mean, and it's funny because they, I mean, they're not subtle about it. Even the sword with the, the wavy blade, (laughs) they they just, you know, they, they, they broadcast it and the way he sneers and he's, he's, his fur is black and all that sort of stuff, but it's violent. There are deaths. Uh, There's a couple of them. I mean, they both deserve it, but that's not the point. And then Nicodemus, of course, is murdered, and um, it gets pretty intense. And Dragon the cat is scary. Yeah. Like, that cat doesn't meow as so much as he roars. Yeah, it's the the mouse perspective of a cat. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about that, but but you're right. And I was thinking, you know, by the time they made Secret of Nim 2, it was the 90s, and 90s kids stuff was garbage. 
Yeah. I remember when they, they remade, they started the GI Joe cartoon again. It was garbage. It was, it was as nonviolent as you can make GI Joe, but a lot of them were, it was also soft and mushy. Like everything, it's like they were afraid to have the eighties level of intensity. And here's my theory. This is why I think kids responded so favorably to Harry Potter. Harry Potter is dark and it is dangerous. And JK Rowling trusted her audience to be mature enough to deal with murder and revenge and ghosts and spiders and the dementors and things like that. And I think kids just reacted to the darkness because here was a kid's book and then a kid's movie that didn't mind scaring its audience. Yeah. There was, there was a, there was a real drought of, of actual real situations in entertainment then. Yeah. It's like the pearl clutching soccer moms of the eighties finally won. And so you have this desert in the nineties of just garbage, but this is not that like, this is, this is dark. It is scary. It's very good. I was actually very impressed. Like some of the very progressive messages. There are no eighties girls in this movie. At least I didn't think so. Nope. Mom is, this is about the power of motherhood. This movie is about a tough mom. Yeah. You know, and the daughters, I mean, the the little one, she's just a little kid, but the, the older one, Teresa, you know, she's not demure and the anti-shrew is well, a shrew. (laughs) And, And, you know, like everyone is, all the women are serious and it's got a very pro animal message to it. The way they talk about the way Nim treats the animals. This is a, it's a pretty impressive movie. I I was much more impressed with it than I think I had allowed myself to be. I sort of looked at it as a kid's film, but really sort of watching it this time, like, wow, this, there are dark themes. There's true good and true evil. And you get to see what happens when evil is allowed to flourish. Yeah. I think if this had been made in the nineties, Nicodemus wouldn't have died and Jenner would have been dragged off to rat jail, I guess. Or banished or whatever. Banished. It certainly wouldn't have ended the way it did. No. But I think that drives the point home that they let evil flourish in their their midst. It cost them something dearly. And then they had to move forward from there. Yeah. It actually makes me want to read the books, but I I had trouble finding them. Um, I'm sure I could find them at the local library or whatnot. But yeah. I I really liked it this time. Like, I'm probably going to watch it again. Really? Uninterrupted this time. (laughs) 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 <laughs> probably um, probably yeah so is there anything in particular that stuck out for you there's a, a couple more of those scenes from my childhood that i could never quite place until i watched this and there they are like the um the old mouse with the cast on his foot mr ages yeah yeah uh, okay. i had him in my house in my in my brain forever and i'm like oh there he is yeah uh, and you mentioned there was another one what was that i can't remember what the other one was i think dragging the cat was uh was one I remembered. Okay. Yeah. But not where he was from. Yeah. Like I yeah. didn't remember his name and I didn't and um yeah, trying to trying to drug the cat, but I like I couldn't place it because okay. I'd only saw this most of the way through once a right. million years ago. Yeah. Well, and that's the, it's one of the advantages of this podcast is that you get to get, get a chance to re get reacquainted with your childhood. I was really struck by the animation. I really like this style of animation. It's the Don Bluth style. Yeah. It's funny. I watched the Siskel and Ebert review of this film, and they talked about the animation too and how it's not just the mouths that move. The whole body moves. Everything moves. They're animated like they're real. They didn't cheap out on the animation. 
Yeah. But I think that's what makes Don Bluth's animation so good and so compelling is that the characters have idiosyncrasies and you see, I mean, they're not subtle because they're kids films, but Jeremy, even when he's calm, Jeremy, the crow, he's clumsy. He's yeah. He's still ADHD. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, Martin puffs out his chest a lot and the little girl, I don't know her name, not Teresa, the other one, the other baby, you know, she's, she's creepy crawly. Like she's like, you know, she's a little kid. She's always, yeah. yeah, She's always crawling over people, things like that. And like you say about Spielberg, there's stuff in the corners. Yeah. This isn't Spielberg, but it's got that feel. It's it's a similar idea though, with the full world. Yeah. There's stuff in the corners and the full world. That's actually what really got me this time. This whole world in nothing but a farmer's field and front yard. There's this whole world there. The, the way the, as they call them, the lower animals live and you, you zoom out and you realize you're looking at just a chunk of rock in the middle of a farmer's field. And there's an old cinder block there, but this is where M- Mrs. Brisby and her kids live. And then there's the rose bush and they go three feet down. Ooh, they make a big deal out of it, but it's this immense world. And it's a fantasy world. Like there's no pretending that it's all about them mastering electricity, which is a big deal in the, in the story. It's also that there's magic. And yeah. This world is very detailed and it's, it's sort of like, I'd almost want to read a story about the animals going into the abandoned rat slayer in the rosebush to see what is left. Because it seems like, like I always said that, you know, in fantasy, fantasy always seems to take place after a big civilization is crumbled. Like Lord of the Rings, we don't get to see the great age of men. Well, you have to read the Silmarillion, but otherwise you don't. You know, when we pass through the Argonoth, those two huge statues holding their hands out, they're all, those are awesome. And they're already rotted away. Like though that civilization is thousands of years gone, but I always want to see the earlier civilization when things were at their height. And that's what this is. You get to see the rats at their height. Yeah. But but I'd also like to see what, what becomes of the rats. It's actually, I want to find the books. I'd also also like to see what happened between Nim and the Rosebush. Like I want to see the escape and the discovery of the rosebush and the building of it. Oh, you'd be like a prequel. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's mentioned in the book. I don't know. I don't think it's a, like a kid's book with pictures. I think it's an actual novella. Mm. I'd have to look it up, but at some point I will hunt it down. Uh, it's uh, it certainly looks interesting. And again, the sequel written by the same guy, it'd be interesting to see more about this world. Um, yeah. But I really, I really liked it. I also was really struck by how good the music was. Yeah. Like the panic music which they play a few times, like when uh, Dragon attacks, and then a few other times, including at the end when the cinder block sinks. That piece of music's fabulous. Really good, yeah. Like, there's no way you're not caught up in, oh my God, something's very wrong. And that lullaby, the music, that is just like, how do you, how do you, how does that not like pull at your heartstrings, you know? Like the song they play when Timmy's getting his medicine. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Dream by night, wish by day, love begins this way. Night's a friend with love to send each new day. Bless. Yeah, and then they play it. Uh, then they have a man play it during the, or men sing it during the uh, credit end credits. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't like it as well when he sang it. I agree. She did a much better job. I, I really, 
I was really impressed with it. I mean, there's a reason the soundtrack was a smash hit. Yeah. So let's go through this and see what we see. And uh, yeah. So it starts off like right off the bat. Things are just weird. There's a rat w- surrounded by books with his own quill pen and ink and clothing. And he's writing magically in a book. So very magically. But you know what? I like that because right off the bat, even though I don't even think we see his face other than in uh, reflection of the amulet that he has. Yeah. It sets the parameters of this world. There are rats. They are clearly more intelligent than we would expect them to be. They are more technologically or materially advanced. And there's magic. Yep. So the magic here is subtle. Yeah. The magic is subtle, though. I mean, no one shoots lightning bolts or no. It's just the magic is, well, it's the amulet. I think it may just be the amulet, which I don't think they ever explain at all. Yeah, I don't know. Like, he has the amulet. He's hiding it from Jenner. It's given to Mrs. Brisby, and then it winds up with Justin in the end. Like I don't think I don't think they ever say where it came from, or what it has to do with the rats. Maybe that's part of the prequel story that we want yeah. them finding an amulet. But we learn that Jonathan Brisby was killed. I don't think they say how. Jonathan Brisby was killed today while helping with the plan. It is four years since our departure from Nim, and our world is changing. I, I don't think we learn until later he was killed uh, trying to drug Dragon, the farmer's cat. Yeah. But they talk about the plan, which we don't really learn about either. But it's a good opening scene. We learn that there's this gold amulet with a red sparkly in the center. We <laughs> have no idea what it does other than clearly it is magical. Like, that's all we know. That and Nicodemus, who, by the way, is just a kick-ass looking character design, is older than Moses. Yeah, super old. He's this ancient rat. And then we get the the credits. And then the very next thing we see is Mrs. Brisby, whose name... Do we ever get her first name? Mm, Nope. She's Mrs. Brisby, Mrs. Jonathan Brisby. That's right. Yeah, that's... uh, Are you introduced that way with your husband's first name? No. No, that not, would be... not even once ever. Not even once, yeah. But although my my grandma used to sign her checks Mrs. with grandpa's name, Mrs. Really, and then grandpa's name. Yeah, really. That's. I think that just sort of went away. I think that's old school from before the war. Like that's yeah. uh, that's a very different world. And so, what does it start with? Yeah. Uh, so we see Mrs. Brisby, and she's looking after her kids. Uh, we learn that she's got, oh no, never mind. No, no she's, sorry. She's tracking down Mr. Ages. That's right. She's tracking down Mr. Ages, who's clearly some sort of tinkerer. We hear crashing and banging. And we see that Mr. Mr. Ages, yeah. we see that Mr. Ages is a, is a mouse like her, but he has glasses and like, he's an old person. That's, that's really what he is. Now, you know what Mr. Ages looks like. He's an old person who's also a mouse. And it was really neat. I, I enjoyed the scene because he's an old curmudgeon. He's, He's Wilford Brimley with the tail. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. He really is. hundred <laughs> percent. That's the uh, name I was trying to think of. Yeah. He's Wilford Brimley with a tail. You know, she explains that moving day is coming. We don't really know what that means, but she's, you know, he says, well, okay, so move your kids and said, well, Timmy has a spider bite. And you think if you think a spider bite sucks for us, she says, Timmy's sick. And he says the one with the spider bite. And she says, oh. no, it's different. Oh, Mr. Ages, my son, Timothy is so sick. Timmy. The one with the spider bite? Uh, well, just give him some Pepsi. No! 
No, he's sick with a fever. Uh, well, I suppose I could fix up something. Well, I get the impression that the spider bite has led to the pneumonia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, can you imagine a spider biting a baby mouse? That would be a problem. Well, that would be, yeah, that'd be like an I've alligator. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, well, I mean, in, I don't think there are any, I don't think, I, I have no idea where this takes place other than presumably the United States. I don't, I don't imagine that there's like big, massive tarantulas. It was probably just a garden spider of some yeah, sort. All, uh, all spiders are venomous. Depends how big you are. If it's bad. Yeah, I never thought about that, but yeah, I guess I guess if you're that tiny, it doesn't really matter. And yeah, so she uh, follows him down to his his what would you call it? His lair, his uh, uh, laboratory, his workshop. Yeah, and that's a pretty cool uh, workshop. I mean, it's down. They use a basket. It's down a hole. I got a kick out of the workshop itself, which I think we see next. Is that? There's like a dragonfly, which is almost as big as him, and he just sort of shoes it out of the way. <laughs> and there's a ladybug on his his lab bench, and he picks it up with two hands like it's a cocker spaniel and yeah, shoes it away. They're his pets. It's hilarious. It's, I love it's because that. they're huge. Yep. Yeah, they're they're hundred percent his pets. It, it's clear that I'm not sure if they're his pets or whether they're just sort of hanging around. I don't think you can tame a dragonfly, but it is cool to look at. Like he doesn't have to deal with dragons and demons. No, he's got a ladybug in the way. He's got a ladybug on the bench. Yeah. And uh, and it's huge. Like I said, it's the size of a cocker spaniel for him. <laughs> and so he whips up some, I don't know, some mixture of herbs and God knows what, puts it in an envelope and says, give it to him in a broth. And that ought to do it. And he's got to stay inside for, was it, two weeks or something. And sends her on her way. And it's funny because when she gets thrown out of his office he's, or out of his laboratory, it says, like, go away. No one welcome." Or something like that. Yeah. Like I said, he's he's a curmudgeonly Wilford Brimley with a tail. <laughs> I don't think he has the. I don't think he had a mustache though. I see a mustache on him. Yeah. So Mrs. Brisby starts to head home, and again, if you look at the world from her point of view, it looks like these massive swamps and huge forests of trees, and it looks like. I mean, you zoom out, it's a pond. Like, it's just a pond with a fallen log in it. Yep. And she and she encounters my least favorite character in this film. You're not a fan either? You could have taken him out and not missed him. Like, why, why, was, he, why was he there? Comic relief, I think. I think it yeah, was comic relief. Yeah, made the kids laugh, I guess. Yeah, my problem wasn't Jeremy. It was his voice. Dom DeLuise. I just don't like him. I've never liked anything he's ever done. Actually, that's not true. He was really, really good in Haunted Honeymoon. He's really, really good in that. He he plays Gene Wilder's great aunt. It's, it's yeah. It's <laughs> it's uh, he does it very well. It's it's all played to comedy, but it's a it's a really, really good movie. That's the only thing I've ever seen that Dom DeLuise has done that I liked. And here he's so annoying. Super annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know for sure, but I. Remember Kid Me thinking the voice actor there was funny when I was 10. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Dom DeLuise, and he's a, you know, I don't dislike him because he's not skilled, because he's definitely, he is a skilled actor. It's just I don't like him. And, and that's, I, I don't know why. It's sort of like, uh, guys, uh, that British actor, he plays the, the he's always, he's in these stupid action movies like uh, Transporter, and I think he got sucked into the Fast and Furious movies. Jason Statham? Statham, yeah. I've never, ever seen anything I liked him in. 
because I don't like him. Oh, I love him. And he's very popular. I recognize I'm in the minority, but I just, I've never seen anything of his that I like. Same with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, because, yeah. because he always just yeah. plays The Rock. Yeah. And Dom DeLuise always plays, with the exception of Haunted Honeymoon, well, yeah, with the exception of Haunted Honeymoon, he always plays some version of Dom DeLuise or the caricature thereof. Yeah. And here he plays this goofy, is it a crow or a raven? I'm honestly they, not sure. They call it a crow. Crow, okay. And he's snagged into in all this red yarn, and he's trying to build a love nest, which I guess is a thing crows do. Uh, yeah, I guess that's enough exercise for one day. <laughs> Besides, I'm really after this terrific string. I'm working on a love nest for two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I see. You have a girl. Well, not really. I mean, I haven't found Miss Wright yet. But when I do, the whole world will hear us singing. And she's trying to shut him up because Dragon is about and Dragon is the cat. Like the conversation isn't even worth talking about. Mostly it's just about him being clumsy and her saying, please shut up so we don't die. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Uh, And then, you know, there's the... It shows her noble heart, though. Oh, yeah. She tries to help him at, at cost to herself. Yeah. She's a heck of a character. I don't think she makes a false move in this entire movie. Like she's, this is a character who I would happily say, you know, if someone said, what's the name of a a hero from a kid's movie you saw that you respect? And I'd say, Mrs. Brisby. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she warns him, shut up or the cat's going to come. There's a scare, which of course is just a rabbit. Ha ha ha. And Um, then of course, naturally, naturally dragon comes when dragon attacks. Like, I'm not sure what kind of cat he is. He's just big gray furball. With one eye. With one eye, uh, which glows in the dark. (laughs) And he roars like a dragon. And that's a terrifying scene. Like when he goes for them, like he's, he smashes wood and he's scary. Yeah. You know, we're, what are we, 10 minutes into this movie and we already have a, a life threatening situation that is more intense than any kids show or movie you'll ever see in the 90s including by the way don bluth's own stuff you know other than the existential crisis of the coming ice age and you know that will kill the uh, dinosaurs in the land before time yes but other than that uh... i always found that very melancholy actually i've always found that hard to watch because i knew they're all going to die anyway but his movies are very 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 gentle this one is really not and certainly dragon attacking is not gentle but she gets away thinking that she's lost Timmy's medicine and he mm. almost as an afterthought says, oh yeah, you dropped this. Yeah. But as, as, aside from showing us her, her hidden depths, like is, mm-hmm. is this the hero's journey again? I don't know because she's never in denial. Like she never tries to push away her destiny the way say Luke Skywalker does. You no, know what I mean? she never runs from it, but she does have to find her own hidden deep blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, but that comes uh, at, at the, the beginning. Very end. She's a timid little mouse. Yeah, but right off the bat, she's willing, despite the fact that this idiot is attracting the one creature that will happily eat her. She sticks around and, and helps him, and helps him when she could easily just say, "You know what? Go away." Yeah, exactly. So she's just she's just fundamentally decent. Yeah, um, and but I think I'm... maybe this is an opportunity for her to show her maternal side. Yeah, like outside of showing the character's core decency, why do we have to have this bird? You know, I suppose we could have asked 
the author. He's still around. But I, I think, frankly, he was put in the movie because, of course, every book, when it transfers into a movie, when it translates into a movie, has to be edited. Entire characters go away. Mm. Um, and so clearly, they I, I don't imagine they invented Jeremy. I imagine he's in the book. And the choice to include him tells me that they wanted comic relief for the yeah. wee little kids. Look at the silly bird. Maybe he was more important in the book. I don't know. I, I actually want, I went looking for the book thinking maybe I'll read it in advance of this movie. But of course, we decided to watch this on Monday. <laughs> well, yes. You know, we, we, were, we ran out of time pretty quickly. I'll read the book tonight and I'll, add, I'll do an addendum in the morning. Okay, no, I actually no. don't do that. No. I'm still reading Titus Grown by Mervyn Peake. I'm not giving up on that. Um, yeah. It's part of the Gorman Gas series. It's really good. So Jeremy sort of goes away and that's kind of it for Jeremy. And Mrs. Brisby goes home where Auntie Shrew, who is a shrew, <laughs> this, uh, you know what? She, I just assumed it was Angela, Angela Lansbury who did the voice. Like that's the sort of snooty older woman I, I pictured in my head. Uh, yeah, except that's slight, slightly insulting to Angela Lansbury. Well, for her, for her performance, I mean, I mean yeah. Ange, you know, for all I know, Angela Lansbury is the most foul-mouthed, miserable human being you've ever met. I don't know. But she knows how to play uh, a multitude of parts. Yeah, so Auntie Shrew is just that. She's a shrew. She's this snotty, I won't say mean, but proper British woman. You know. Uh, yeah. She, she really Karen. is. I don't know if she's a Karen. I don't think she wants to talk to anyone's manager, but she certainly expects the kids to behave better than they're behaving. Yeah. Uh, you know, she she expects the girls to be quiet and demure and she wish martin would just shut up and martin will have none of it i love it that no Uh one's willing to put up with her bullshit yeah and she is chased off by the kids because they're so uncouth i'm not afraid of the dark i'm not afraid of the farmer i can't yeah i'm not even scared of dragons i'm not even afraid of 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 the great owl will you hush up i you hush up precocious monster bullfrog spoiled brat Loud mouth. Oh, well, that will be quite enough. Thank you. She winds up tripping and falling down the stairs just as uh, Mrs. Brisby comes in and she sort of wanders off. And, you know, the most insulting thing she could say is your child is a brat. <laughs> I actually like him slightly more now that I know who acted him. Will Wheaton. He was also in The Last Starfighter, but he's credited in it. But I don't think we ever see him. I think they cut the part out because he was a mm-hmm. little kid, right? Yeah. I think he was one of Lewis's friends, the Alex's little brother. Um, oh. I've watched the movie looking for him and never seen him. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I think Will Wheaton. He's about our age, isn't he? Thereabouts within a year or two, yeah. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he was a little, little kid when he did this, but he did a great job. Like, yeah, super. Little kids, like there's a reason why 13 year olds are played by 14 and 15 year olds and 16 to 18 year olds are played by kids in their 20s. Kids can't act. No. And, okay, most kids can't act. But if you look even at Harry Potter, I mean, if you look at Emma Watson playing Hermione Granger, she didn't do a great job in that first movie. She had to grow mm, into the parts. None of them did, yeah. None of them did, yeah. They grew into their parts, and you can see that. But Will Wheaton, I mean, yes, it's not a lot of lines, but I thought he did a very good job. And Shannon, uh, Shannon Doherty as well, who plays the older daughter. Right. They did quite a good job. Anyway, Mom gives Timmy the broth, and that's where we get that wonderful piece of music yeah 
which I forget what it's called. I think it's called Loving Lullaby or some such thing. It's a very tender scene where he's in bed and she's feeding him the broth and the kids, they all want to see if Timmy's okay. And there's a little bit of cuteness where, you know, uh, the little girl peeks up from behind the bed and the older girl gets up and pushes her head down. And yeah, yeah it, it's, it's adorable. It, it is adorable. It's very, very cute scene. But it's, like I said, it's also a very sweet scene. Like these are, these are kids who may be antagonistic of each other, but they do love each other. And mom is super mom. She really is. Uh, she's, you know, she's super caring and all that. And that's pretty cool. Um, kids. Yep. Song, Flying Dreams. Flying Dreams. That's what it's called. Okay. Yeah. I just skipped ahead to the credits. Oh, okay. It's a great song. And then we get to see, I think it's probably the funniest scene in the movie, which is uh, the farmer's wife, uh, Mrs. Fitzgibbons, talking to her husband. Uh, and that they got a call from NIM, the National Institute of Mental Health, which is a real thing, by the way. And it's like, it? oh, there's, yeah, I looked it up. Uh, they're actually, I, I went looking to see if they'd ever made a statement concerning the movie, like defending their reputation. Mm-hmm. But if they did, it's not on their website because that statement would have been released. You know, like 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, it's real. National Institute of Mental Health or for mental health, one or the other. Uh, and saying, you know, and like the, the NIM people are on the phone. Have we noticed anything weird about the rats? And <laughs> they're saying, no, we haven't seen anything weird about the rats. And right in front of the window, the, the, rats, rats. Yeah, the, the rats going by with this big power cord. They're stealing yeah. the electricity using, I think it's like the Christmas lights. They're stealing them right off the, right <laughs> off the house. It's actually kind of funny that all the shit that happens in this film, some of which is really big and bright. And this farmer has no freaking clue. Yeah. I, like, like, I appreciate this movie so much now. And I just hated it as a kid. Because it was upsetting. It was scary and dark and I yeah. didn't understand the plot and I had no idea what was going on. And You know, it's funny, I'm going to ask this now, because we always ask at the, end of the, at the end of the podcast, but I'm going to ask this now. Would you recommend this to a kid who is your age when you saw it? Seven, eight, somewhere around there? No, I don't think so. Is it too much? Uh, maybe kids today are more sophisticated than I was, but like, I had no idea what was happening. Other than Timmy was sick and something, 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 and there's a scary thing. Yeah. And then a crazy thing, and then another scary thing, and I've got to go. Bye. Over 55 episodes, I've heard you and Raimi say that many times. That as a kid, you didn't understand the nuances of whatever film we were watching. And I find that super interesting. Maybe it's why I love movies so much, but I never had trouble wrapping my head around this stuff. And maybe it's because I lived in such a, I lived so in on myself. Mm. I wasn't out playing with my friends, so I didn't really have any. Well, I mean, I had friends, just not a lot. And I didn't want to see them over the summer. That was for sure. I, I, I wasn't involved in sports, so my cues were 100% intellectual. Mm. And, I won, and also, I watched a lot of grown-up films. Like in 1984, Amadeus came out. I promise you, I'm the only nine-year-old in my school who was watching that film. Yep. You know, in 1982 or 83, Once Upon a Time in America came out. You know, the three-hour gangster epic. I love that film. You were a different sort of kid than me. I, I was a very different sort of kid i think than most i was not normal let me put you that way well neither was i but but yeah we, we were a different flavor of weird yeah i guess so i yeah i just i had no trouble following this part of the problem may have been that it it was on tv on a sunday afternoon or something so there would have been ads yeah and then it's cut down cut and broken up and yeah i guess so whereas for me a movie has always been the experience of sitting there and watching it yeah that is very likely part of it and uh, like six other kids varying in age between, you know, 15 years older than me and six years younger. There was a lot of background noise. 
So. Yeah, I guess that's going to, that'll distract. And I think it was the same for Raimi because he had brothers, older brothers, I think. Had. He still has. Yes. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> Present tense. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the next thing we see is, well, the next day is unexpectedly moving day. And now we learn what moving day is, which is the farmer is going to start plowing his field. And that's a panic because it's come early because, and she knew it was coming early because the frost had lifted early. And we learned very quickly that moving day is they're plowing the field. Get out. Move. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a panicked scene and it's really, really neat to see the way, you know, the birds just get up and fly, but the rabbits are thumping their feet to alert all the yeah. underground animals. That was cool. And they uh, showed it as an instinct, not a thought. Yeah. They just, they, they, they thump, they warn everyone clears out. And of course, she can't move. Now, here's the thing. That plow, which looks like it was built in like the 30s, was not going to do a damn thing to that cinder block house they own. Well, no. But there has to be danger. So she, again, without thinking, without a second thought or worry for herself, jumps onto the tractor with Auntie Shrew. With Auntie Shrew. She's, she's good, if annoying. Yeah. She's not screwing around. And, I mean, the shrew, like, she's a bigger animal. Like, she's much yeah. bigger, much stronger. And and I think, I don't recall whether she needed shrew's help to actually do what she did. I think mostly Auntie Shrew was just following behind yelling, what are you doing? Hmm. Um, she pulls the fuel line and, like. Total fluke. It just looked easy to grab and grabbed it and it totally worked. Yeah. But if you look at that thing, I mean, it's like a piece of rubber tubing attached to the small little glass something or other. Obviously, she has no idea what any of that stuff is, but still pretty, uh, you know, but it was it pretty did look intense. Soft. Yep. It did look soft. It was something she could affect. And it, of course, no fuel, no plow. She bit something else first and it didn't stop it. So she bit the next thing. Was it like a wire or something? But Something, yeah. And this is where we learn that Nicodemus has been watching all of this. Yeah. Because Nicodemus has got, in addition to the sparkly, which is really what Jeremy calls it, it's the red amulet. He's got this spinny thing that's as big as he is. And it's like a portal that shows him stuff. The more I talk about this, the more I got to read this book to see the background of how it is Nicodemus is a wizard. Well, it's, his name is Nicodemus. Is that a wizard thing? Uh, yeah. Hang on. Wiz- I'll, wizardy I'll sounding? So I get it right. No, it's it's actually a character from something or another. Biblical, that's what I know. Oh, is it? Okay. But anyway, yeah. So Nicodemus has been watching and he's the only rat of Nim we've seen so far. And how is it that she gets the idea, Mrs. Brisby gets the idea to visit the great owl? Is it the shrew who tells her? Was that the, oh, maybe it was the shrew and Jeremy takes her. Yeah, Jeremy takes her because. But it wasn't his idea. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was the shrew. Yeah. Yeah. The great owl would know what to do about this. Must go see him. Because, yeah, she, he has to fly her there because it's a long, like, it's in the forest. It's not in, it's not in Fitzgibbon's land. When she goes to see the great owl, of course, owls eat mice. She knows this, but she has, it's the one slightest bit of hesitation she has. And she says, remember Timmy. And a spider comes up to attack her and this owl just squishes it, which is pretty awesome. And then you see the owl and he's this huge Oh, he's so gross. I thought he was awesome looking. He's all gray and he's dusty, these glowing eyes, and his voice is amazing. Why have you come? Terrifying. Absolutely. Well, he's an oracle, right? That's really what he is. He's an oracle. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Now now that you mention it, yeah. Yeah. So it's no fun if he's he's super nice. Come in, have a spot of tea, you know, meet the missus. He's not even really all that interested in talking to her. She says, you know... 
it's moving day and he just says oh, move the house well i can't he keeps trying to like blow her off because he's got to go hunt because it's night yeah i must bid you good evening mrs uh... mrs frisbee frisbee mrs jonathan frisbee why yes he was my husband but how do you know about him that is not important. I will say this. His name is not unknown in these woods. And suddenly he's on board. Yeah. You know, we're starting to realize that the name Jonathan Brisby carries a huge amount of weight. And she has no clue why. Because her husband has been running around behind her back. So he says, yeah, go see the rats of Nim. You know, she has no idea who they are. But they're in the rosebush, which is interesting. Like, how does she not know about the rosebush and that there are rats there? I mean, this is her her world. She may have known there were rats. She just didn't know they were special ones. Yeah. Like, they they went to to a lot of trouble to stay hidden. Yeah, that's true. Except for the you know, the lights. That well, that's that. not. Yeah. <laughs> and the stealing electricity and the farmer wondering why there are uh, extension cords going into the rosebush. But, okay. Yeah. Um, so she decides, yeah, she's off to see... Off to see the wizard, or the rats in this case. And then she bumps into Jeremy again, and he's in disguise. And I have no idea why this scene is in the movie, other than to show Jeremy meeting her as she finds her way into the rosebush. Like, I don't know what he's doing there. Yeah, I don't don't know. Other than to give Mrs. Brisby someone to talk to. But she does eventually get into the rosebush, and heads down it's dark and it's scary and the thorns and the rose bush oh, well, seem he, to... he drops her off after the forest he takes her there yeah but it's but he doesn't meet her to the next morning oh right? right um and uh because remember he asked she asked what are you doing he's i'm in disguise and he's just wrapped up in something he got off the clothesline oh maybe he's yeah. got a hero complex I don't know. Well, I think he like he wants her advice because she was a girl once, as he points out. Because <laughs> he's trying, yeah. Um, Formerly, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the second movie we've done where we've talked about that, where you know parents were once actually humans. You know. Yeah. Once once you have kids, it's, it's all gone. Oh, is it? You have no life anymore whatsoever. No, I'm my kid's mom, and that I, I no yeah. longer have a name. Yeah, but you're also the person who, who's done, you know, 50-some podcast episodes with me, and, and I happen to know that you 100%ed Breath of the Wild. Shut up. I, I, I don't have all 900 Korok seeds yet. Oh, okay. So anyway, I think that's why Jeremy is around. Like, he, he, he wants advice on how to well, pick up chicks. Who knows more about attracting a female crow than a mouse? Mouse. Okay, yeah. yeah. In the meantime... She she heads down into the rosebush and encounters this fucking psycho of a rat who has a yeah. cape and a uh, a trident that has electricity on it. That's kind of cool. That's so he's like cool. he's like low rent rosebush Aquaman. <laughs> there's, and... there's there's an overzealous gate guard in a lot of movies though, right? Oh yeah, it is kind of cool that he's mute, and I don't think we ever see him again. That's Brutus. We never see him no, again. That's just Brutus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's neat because once she gets past a certain point, he just abandons her. Like he just goes, yeah, whatever. And he goes back to his post. Yeah. That's the one error I catch in this film. I don't I would... know. Cause, cause she was falling out. She was, she was falling away from their civilization when she bumped into ages on his way in. Is that what it was? Yeah. Like he oh, yeah. had actually kept her out. He had done his oh, job. Okay. 
I thought for some reason he she had gotten far enough in that he just said, "Okay, whatever." No, no, okay. he turned her around, and yeah. A just brought her in. Oh, okay, yeah, but I was about to say I would have expected to hear someone say, "Brutus, back off." Or something like that. But yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about that yet. He does keep her out. We bump into Aegis and he has a cast, a tiny little crutch, and we don't know why. I mean, we'll learn later. It's because he tried tried to do what what Jonathan was killed doing, which is drug dragon. Put the sleeping powder in dragon's food. Yeah. And then we get another scene of Nicodemus looking into his, I don't know what you'd call it, his orb of spying or something. But they spell it out. Jenner is a bad person. Very bad. And Mr. Aegis takes her into the rat's lair. And it's neat because it's not like, I mean, obviously like they have guards there, but they're like kids, Napoleonic figures. Like yeah, toy soldiers. soldiers. But one of them is Jonathan, who's the captain of the guard. And he's super playful. Reveal thy name. Justin, you featherhead. Get your hands off me. Okay, okay, just a joke. I didn't mean any harm. He's played by Peter Strauss, who was like a babe of the 70s and 80s. He's like, he's, um, if, if Raiders of the Lost Ark had been made in the 70s, Peter Strauss would have been Indiana Jones. Like, just to tell you what sort of actor he was. And okay. he does this role super well. I love, uh, I love this guy. Yeah, Justin is super cool. Because he comes across as decent and honest and brave. No character here is so-so. You know what I mean? Like everyone's yeah. either really good or really bad. There are no shades of gray here. And they're all uh, well done. Yes. Well, again, except Jeremy, but that's it, my problem. He's even, he's even well done for his character. I just don't like yeah. the character. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my, my problem with Dom DeLuise is my problem, not Dom DeLuise's problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. All the characters are super interesting. Like you could say, Oh, does the sequel focus on Mr. Ages? Oh, okay, I could I could watch that. Or, yeah. oh, it focuses on Justin? I'm all okay. for that. Yeah. Or it's all about Justin and Brutus. Oh, okay, yeah. sure, I, I could do that. Even Jeremy, I mean, I wouldn't watch it, but I think a movie could be made about Jeremy and his new girlfriend. Yeah. I wouldn't watch it, but I think it would, could be an interesting, it would be interesting for little, little kids. Direct to video. Well, yeah, which is... <laughs> Funny enough, exactly what uh, the second movie was. I'm going to have to watch it just to say I've seen it. But first, they take him down deep into the depths of this rat civilization, which involves an elevator, which is really just a, like an old style glass lantern that goes airtight down into water. And they have a so draining cool. system. It is, the, it is so cool. And it's ridiculously advanced. Like you and I couldn't build that. No. Well, I could, but it would, it would take a while and a lot of resources I don't have, but yeah. Also, you're not the size of a rat. Maybe you've lost a lot of weight since I last saw you, but I don't think you're the mm-hmm. size of a rat. I think you're still a human sized human, but this setup, like, again, this is when I was a kid for me playing GI Joe was as much about building the base as playing with the toys. And because my mother would not buy, remember that cool GI Joe base that had the prison and the huge cannon. Yeah. Uh, you remember I, I, that? Thing? I remember the ads for it. It's under attack. It's under attack. The G.I. Joe headquarters is under attack. This is it, the G.I. Joe headquarters, and there's never been a command post like it. Man the battle tank! I've located Cobra. We've captured a Cobra officer. Put him in the stockade. Way to go, Joe! Fire! We chased off Cobra. We saved the G.I. Joe headquarters. G.I. Joe headquarters. All figures and equipment sold separately from Hasbro. Uh, and then later on, there was the Terror Drome, which was like the, the yeah. Cobra one. 
my mother would never buy me those. So I had to make my own bases. And the rooms for my bases were empty Kleenex boxes. And the elevators were toilet paper rolls or paper towel rolls. Like I built, I filled closets. Awesome. With 10 story, like the pit, which is where G.I. Joe was, right? Yeah. This underground thing. I built the pit. Like a nice. 10, 15 level pit. I filled closets. And honest to God, I think this movie was part of what told me that would be a thing to do because this world they live in is so elaborate. And it's, you can see bits and pieces where it's sort of thrown together from, from trash, from detritus, from the human world. But then you go into the, the council chamber and this thing looks like out of a fantasy film. Like it's gold with a glass mirror floor and yeah. it's brightly lit and everyone is dressed in you know medieval clothing, but it's not tatters. Clean and shiny and... It, well, prettier well than anything. Yeah. Oh yeah, like it's gorgeous. It's it's something. You know what it reminds me of? A clean version of the Crystal Chamber from Dark Crystal. Yeah, I've. I mean, not 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 the blinding white, but. But yeah, no, I've actually found a little bit similar to the Dark Crystal. Yeah. The uh, good and bad, and the well, the creepy hands, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> the Skeksis, and uh, yeah. So we hear the in the council there is a debate over a plan to leave because. In addition to being super intelligent, these rats have ethics, which even Roger Ebert commented on this, like they're so advanced, they have ethics. They understand that stealing is wrong. And it's the bad guy. Most of them. Most of them. Yeah. It's the bad guy. It's Jenner who says, well, what's the problem here? We steal, you know, we're rats. We steal. We're rats. Hello. This is what we do. But everyone else recognizes this is a problem, but Jenner doesn't want to give up what is obviously a cushy life. And, you know, it's very clear he's playing the politician and he's playing the conniver and the plotter. And then we, you know, we realize why she's there. She wants the rats to, to move the block. And Jenner, once he realizes that, because now we know Jenner knows the landscape because he's the first one to say the Brisby house is an old cinder block. Cinder block. Yeah. And when they lift it, we can cut the wire and we can kill Nicodemus. Accidents happen. Accidents happen. Exactly. That's pretty conniving. It's a little bit of a Rube Goldberg thing because how do we know that Nicodemus is going to be right under that thing where he's in the last place he should be? But <laughs> because, it's, because it's a cartoon and they can draw it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So she agrees to to do that, and and that's kind of the end of the meeting. And Mrs. Brisby goes home where we had forgotten to say to get rid of Jeremy. She said, "Go guard my kids." <laughs> And that's gone super well for him because he's been tied up by all this string. By the shrew. Yeah. The shrew has done it with the help of the kids. The old, the old busybody. Yeah. And they don't believe for a second that she knows Mrs. Brisby. And it's, it's a funny, it's actually the one scene of his I like, but most of his I like. They get the mission out of him. They make him talk. Yeah. Like, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe this is the crew. Uh, Mom helped the other day. Let's open his, open his mouth. But yeah. then they get the mission out, and then they tie him up again. I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's, a little it's, it's it's a it's a it's a cute scene. I really I really like it. And then mom comes in, and oh no, wait, sorry, no. First, uh, mom. It's right before mom leaves the rat. She the, has the a private audience with Nicodemus. That's right, and that and and he's got some cool rock concert lighting going on when she opens the door. Uh, yeah. And she goes in, and this is where we learn everything, and. 
the background is fascinating that they were just street rats and they were rounded up by, I don't know, guys in a panel van and brought to the Na- the National Institute of Mental Health where they were experimented on and they show, oh my God, puppies and the, and, and the, the rabbits and they're so sad because they're being experimented on. And the only thing I'm going to say about this is that I recognize that animal research is important. It's what helps us find drugs that keep us alive. But I don't ever want to hear about it. I don't ever want to see it. I don't ever want to talk about it. Ever, ever. You know what I mean? Little little kid B had a problem with this. Yeah. Now, any animal researcher will tell you they are way more humane now than they were 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Ethics caught up. And the only reason we still use animals is computers are simply not advanced enough to simulate the human body in enough detail and accurately enough that we can do away with it. And we are 50, 60, 70 years away from that. Yeah. So... That's all I'm ever going to say about animal testing because I find it deeply upsetting. Me too. Um, and it I doesn't matter. the need, but not. I don't want to hear about I'll it. I'll never yeah. have anything to do with it. Yeah. So they are given injections that makes them intelligent. And Nicodemus is the first to realize this because he wakes up one morning and he can read, which isn't yeah. how intelligence works, but okay, whatever. And so they're able to escape. And they free the mice. Actually, I think they free all the animals. The mice and the rats escape into a vent, but the mice are sucked down to their deaths. Yep. Except for Mr. Ages and Jonathan. And Jonathan is able to help them escape because he's able to squeeze through like a a grating because the rats are just too big. Yeah, and And his courage was tremendous that he he took the steps and he saved everyone and he's a hero. Yeah. One thing that Nicodemus points out is that these rats are very, very old. It slowed the aging process to the point, and, and that's why she doesn't know about any of this. These aren't immortals. But as he points out, you would have grown old and wondered why Jonathan wasn't. Mm-hmm. So who knows how old these mice are and these rats are? Yeah. It's hard to tell. It may only be a few years because they're rounded up and put in the back of a 1980s panel then. Like it's, so it's not that yeah. long. Well, they've, they've had electricity for five years. Is it five years? Oh, okay, I, that's right. I well, forgot about that. Well, because the guard says four and Aegis says, no, it's five. That's right. He corrects them. So it's been a while. And they came from the city. And I imagine rats making their way from the city out to farm country mm. would take some time. Yep. So, yeah. So these are very, very aged rats which is probably why they've had so much time to, uh, to build a civilization. And then we get to see uh, Nicodemus do a little more magic. He does a force pull and grabs his, his staff. Yeah. We get a little more plotting from Jenner and his fat, what do you Ugh. call him, henchman. Yeah, he's useless. Yeah. And then we're back to Nicodemus, and they're on a boat, and they're waiting by a waterfall, and because that night they're going to go and they're going to move the Brisby household. And she volunteers after a moment's thought she volunteers to drug dragon did you did you do the thing where he gave her the amulet that's right he gives her the that's right that that happens during the audience he gives her the amulet i don't think he says what it is though yeah oh yeah it reacts to the purity of heart with a blazing red light and there's an inscription on the back and that's right, but I don't think he says where he gets it. Like, there's no origin to this thing, or no. What just it's meant jo- to- Jonathan would have wanted you to have this. That's right. Yeah. In any case, so Mrs. Brisby bumps into Jeremy again. Says, "Look, I need you to get all the string you can, so they can lift the uh, the cinder block." And then that night, 
basically she tries, go away. Yeah, he's trying, she's trying to get rid of him. And so she meets Justin at the farmhouse. They sneak into the kitchen through a hole in the floor. It's pretty clear why it is the mice have to drug Dragon. The hole simply isn't big enough for a rat. Yep. She drugs Dragon. She does it successfully. But on the way back <laughs> to the hole... It's four years. It's four years since our departure from Nim. We cannot stay here much longer. But it's this, not four years. It's five. I would trust Nicodemus over uh, Aegis. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and yeah. I could have Aegis and, and Jonathan's linebacker. Uh, duh. What's no, the you're, no, you're right, Justin. No, you're right. Justin. You got the, you got the line right. I could right. have their parts backwards. No, no, you got it right. Okay. Um, I think it's just a, it's an error in the script. This is what happens when you have five people write a goddamn script. Uh, and and that's, that's frustrating because things like that should get caught, but they don't. Anyway, Mrs. Brisby gets captured by the farmer's son who puts her in a birdcage, which she escapes. I mean, it's, it's a clever way she does it, but whatever, she escapes. In the meantime, the rats have already shown up. And they didn't need, they didn't need any yarn. They have full-on hemp rope and oh, yeah. oh, pulley that, that system. Clearly, just to get rid of the bird. Yeah, and they've got a full-on pulley system. It's pretty wild. It's, uh, and they yeah. they lift this thing out of the out of the mud, and it's sort of back and forth between them doing that and Mrs. Brisby escaping. But inside the house, of course, these kids are being rolled around back and forth. Uh, Shrew is in there. She gets knocked out. It's a little bit of a panic because, of course, for light, they use a candle. There's a fear there might be a fire or whatever. In the meantime, Jenner decides he wants to cut the rope on the whole rigging. Yeah. And it's funny because it's not, it's not the cinder block that kills Nicodemus. It's all of the rigging, which once things start to break, all goes shooting towards him because cartoon physics. Yeah. It was, I don't know, he gets, he gets killed. But the neat thing is, is that Jenner's henchmen won't do it. Yeah, and he starts to turn. Yeah, well, it's, I don't think it's so much that he's turning, it's that he can't bring himself to kill Nicodemus. He got a little bit of the morals. He's been, he's been led by, by Jenner, yeah. but he doesn't have the heart to do the actual evil deeds. Yeah, he can't cut the rope. So Jenner does it himself, and Nicodemus is killed, and it's at this point that Mrs. Brisby arrives, and it turns out it's handy that she got trapped, because she got to hear Nim call Farmer Fitzgibbons and say... We'd like to come in tomorrow and bulldoze the entire rosebush and kill the rats. So they have to go. So she shows up at the wreckage of her own house and says, you got to go. You got to go. Yeah. And, and I, that's what like I, I left when the rigging hit Nicodemus. I haven't. When I was a kid, I didn't see from from the rigging snapping to the end. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah, so Jenner freaks out. He tries, He says, you know, maybe one day we'll go to the valley or wherever, but not now. Let's just go home. You know, we can't help these people anymore. The rigging is destroyed. And Brisby says, no, no, they're coming tonight. Nim is coming to kill you. You and guys got to go. Yeah, and Jenner tries to kill her. Justin gets into a duel with, with a stick until eventually uh, Jenner's henchman throws him his sword. Yeah, re- he's, he's redeemed. Yeah, and killed for it, though yeah. not all. Oh, he he's killed slowly. He, you know, he gets a slash and then Had a little tiny cut on his chest. Yeah, yeah, and but, then when Jenner uh, finally gets the upper hand from Justin, the henchman throws a knife in his back. Jenner falls to his death, and then the the other guy, I think, dies. I think the henchman actually dies. I'm not sure. Think so? Because I never you never see him again. Yeah, the impression I get is that Jenner's wound to his henchman was deep enough that it killed him. But I don't know. But not, it's hard. but not quickly, right? Yeah. There's a there was a lot of rats too, like more more than I thought. 
Yeah, there was a few dozen of them. You know, you'd think that's kind of it, but no, no. <laughs> then the, uh, these, of course, everything is muddy. They were moving the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, cinder block over a muddy area, and the cinder block starts to sink, and it does sink. Did you get the impression that the kids died when the brick sank? Because I always, as a kid, thought they all drowned. I never saw it as a kid. As an adult, I understood I was intended to think that, but I didn't actually. Yeah, I'd always thought I, that they drowned. I knew they'd get out. Oh, yeah. She grabs the amulet, it burns her, but it gives her telekinesis, apparently, through the rope. Energy goes <laughs> through she the rope. Lifts, and she lifts the X-Wing out of the swamp. I mean, yeah, I mean pretty, her house out of the mud. Yeah, pretty much. And sets it down on the other side of a rock. All is well. That's it. And the next day we see that Timmy is doing better. Her hands are burned. Jeremy shows up. He meets a chick and says, I need to have that red spark. into him. Yeah. And she's clumsy too because, of course, she's love. She's just and, as derpy as him. And yeah. And he didn't uh, need it. I know. Yeah. And she says, give me the sparkly because he really wants that red thing from her. And he says, no, I gave it to Justin, the leader of the rats. So now at least we know who's in charge now. Not that there was ever any debate. Yep. And that's kind of it. Like the, the movie just sort of ends on a, everyone, you know, all is well. And they all live ever after. after. But it took some grief and misery and violence and, and death, death to and get there. Violence and, yep. To say nothing of the, you know, the, the liver and kidney problems that poor cat's going to have from being drugged every night. But, uh, it. He's a jerk. you know, going through this, I just, it's a hell of a film. Yeah, it's super good. I've recommended this film to friends with kids for, well, decades. <laughs> It's like, yeah, go, go get The Secret of Nim. That's a rockin' movie. Like, is it dark? Is it dangerous? Yeah. But if they're loving Harry Potter, that's way more intense. Voldemort coming out of the back of your head, drinking unicorn drinking blood, unicorn and, blood. And, and swarms of scary spiders. Like, this is way less scary in some ways. But in some ways, it's actually quite a bit more scary. Yeah. Like, Brutus is pretty scary. Dragon is terrifying. Jenner is, I think he's a genuinely evil character. Yeah. As a kid... I found him more menacing than even like Darth Vader because Darth Vader comes off as ironically, very cartoonish. He does. Whereas Jenner comes off as pure conniving. Evil. Pure evil in the society of good. Yeah. He's yeah. the cancer at the bottom in the yeah, back. Like yeah. cancerous is the, is the best way to put it. He's not just a, I mean, even one of the first things that princess Leia says about Darth Vader is I'm surprised that uh, Tarkin lets you off your leash uh, or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, but Jenner, he's a genuine, like you say, a, a cancer. He's evil and he's plotting deaths and he's intricate about it. And he's willing to kill his own allies if he doesn't get what he wants out of them. And yeah. like, there's a term for that sociopath, <laughs> you know, like he's not a good guy. And that's kind of shocking for a kid's movie, but I liked it. I, I really, I dug this film, you know? Yeah. yeah so any last words you want to? toss in here or uh well i don't think so okay except that i, sh I sure liked it now that i've actually seen it and understood what was happening are uh, you gonna you're gonna watch it again hopefully uninterrupted I think so and... yeah uh, pick up more the more the second time at some point or another show your kid someday yeah when he's 20 or so <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm sure he'll toughen up as he ages too yeah i was i was pretty soft as a seven-year-old as well Fair enough. Okay, well, I think we'll just sort of leave it there, and I'm gonna go steal some, you know, some electricity for my neighbor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to build an airlock using an old timey lantern. Maybe something slightly bigger. Slightly bigger. Okay, that's good. <laughs>